Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have Valent Sieber. The Director of Vulnerability Research at Bastille.io. How you doing, Balan? Hi, Richard. I'm very well, thanks. Good. Where, where are you? Um, where do you hail from, by the way? You have an unusual name. I say that I'm half Hungarian and 100% Aussie. So Balan is actually a, a Hungarian name. My mother is Hungarian, and uh, okay. I was born and raised in Australia. And then a few years back in uh, 2012, I made my way out to the the states uh, to follow my passion of software-defined radio. Yeah, all right. And now um, Bastille works on security for internet radio. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, our tagline is is security for the uh, Internet of Things, uh, and and particularly the Internet of Radios. It follows on from the the trend that we're seeing that more and more devices are actually being radio enabled. So devices that you may not have even considered to have radios have these cheap uh, radio chips installed in them. Uh, and you know, one main purpose is just to uh, ease the the ability for one to configure and communicate with the devices and and save on costs because you don't need to install all the wiring to talk to these devices. So what kind of devices have radio chips in them that people would never suspect have them? Uh, well, often um, you see interesting trends in both um, the consumer markets and sort of uh, markets where devices end up being installed into industrial and, and corporate contexts as well. Uh, I think in the consumer market, especially with the advent of smartphones, um, I mean, if you think about the phones themselves, they've got so many radios in there that just work seamlessly. So you've got individual um, different components there to enable communication with GSM, 2G, 3G, uh, UMTS, 4G, LTE. Um, you've got Bluetooth, you've got Wi-Fi, you've got Bluetooth Low Energy, you've got NFC um, for short-range transactions. Uh, you know, the, and iPhones, for example, they have Apple Pay and Samsung do do their equivalent thing. Uh, and then you've got in the consumer market all of these new devices now that are making their way into homes. Um, you've got uh, Nest uh, cameras and their their um, ceiling mounted um, uh, smoke detectors. They're all wirelessly connected. All of the toys that are making their way into um, you know children's playrooms. They are often um, connected via Bluetooth. You can you can pair particular um, Dolls and and little remote control tanks and stuff that's all through this um, these common protocols uh, and then okay. a lot of uh, home entertainment systems and and other such devices are all you know have have wireless uh, connectivity features um, and as we we're seeing across a lot of different uh, contexts as well the notion of of having these hubs these central points of coordination in your home to talk to smart devices. So for example, you can have a smart uh, wireless enabled door lock on your house. Um, and you know there, there have been well publicized hacks um, that we've demonstrated as well where you can actually unlock someone's 
Zigbee enabled door lock uh, because there's an, an inherent flaw in the protocol. Um, if you look at devices that are making their way into um, the corporate um, world and, and into infrastructure there, um, everybody often uses uh, wireless Bluetooth keyboards and mice, um, and that's a, right. that's a vulnerable protocol that we've shown. Um, you know, you, I guess we can talk about that later, the particular exploits you can do there. But also in terms of automation uh, and control, as I mentioned, it's costly to install the copper to connect all sorts of uh, devices for monitoring and, and environmental control. So, for example, in a data center, you might have uh, temperature monitors and, and other security uh, systems there. That, and, and we've seen this in, in quite a few data centers that we've visited already. Um, you have backup systems for power and for uh, air conditioning. Um, and many times these are installed where the, the personnel in charge aren't fully aware that they have add-ons uh, that are, are essentially enable wireless communication to these devices. And if you don't have the visibility into seeing what radios you've got in your environment, uh, then you don't know what's there. And as it turns out, they might just be in their default mode, beaconing out, waiting for somebody to, to connect. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's the new frontier that we're really trying to tackle. When you say a radio, you don't mean just a traditional radio. You mean a device that can that's beaconing out and calling out to other devices. That is it, it sounds like a more general definition. Is that right, or am I wrong? Uh, yeah. So when I mean radio, essentially in all these devices, uh, technology has progressed to the point where you can miniaturize all of this stuff into a small chip on a board. Um, and the, the the process means that you can do it in bulk, and therefore these parts are very very cheap to manufacture and then include in in one's product. And once you have the ability to do wireless, you can you know, claim all sorts of interesting uh, value adds in your in your marketing materials. The issue is that although it might be easy to add one of these chips, um, often the security aspect is is overlooked. So People are rushing to get their product to market to beat the competition, and we've seen this time and time again, both in in the wired world. If you, you you turn the clock back even decades, you can just look at history and see all the sorts of uh, vulnerabilities discovered in implementations of you know wired protocols and and the IP stack and so on. Um, but that same sort of scrutiny still is not applied. Uh, in the wireless domain. So when we talk about radios, we're talking about all the stuff that gets miniaturized on in these products, the antenna, the chip that does the actual physical layer communication, and then on top of that, the, the embedded firmware that does the control of the radio and decides how to format the packets that are being sent out and handle the, the data that's coming in. And um, in our vulnerability research, that's where we look. Um, to find you know these these bugs that we find everywhere that that allow uh, a potential attacker to take over communicate with one of these radios and, and take over the system that's attached to it and and the curious thing about it is that you no longer need to be plugged into a physical network anymore you can you know sit across the road sit in the in the room next door um, and potentially execute these sorts of attacks. So the, what are some of the different ways, you know, you talked about Bluetooth, near-field communication, um, 
mean, I know there's a whole bunch more. What are, which ones are more vulnerable than others? Are they all equally vulnerable? And what what the consequences of someone uh, listening in or sending data or trying to attack various devices? Some of them seem like, you know, no big deal. What are you going to do with it? But some, I'm sure, are more vulnerable. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because you wouldn't often consider that, that something as innocuous as your dongle, USB dongle that you use to um, communicate with a wireless mouse might lead to uh, pretty severe um, compromises. So one, I mean, if I can illustrate that, that with one example that we worked on specifically, um, my colleague Mark Newlin, uh, a member of our research team here, actually began looking at taking over people's mice at a security conference, just, just for fun. So if somebody was uh, showing a presentation, for example, and they were using their mouse to pull, you know, step through the deck or move the cursor around, that was a protocol that he found just by looking at the radio spectrum with some tools. And then was able to reverse engineer and then actually take control of the mouse and confuse the the, the speaker with um, humorous consequences. But after looking into that further, he discovered that you could actually um, go in a lot deeper. So one example where you might have uh, a non-Bluetooth wireless mouse just plugged into your computer with a USB wireless dongle is that you can, as an attacker, pair without the knowledge of the, the victim you can pair to that dongle, and then you can present oh. yourself as a keyboard to the computer, and then you would essentially be typing as if you were on the computer itself. So the attack scenario is that somebody scopes out a target or targets an entire building, <laughs> essentially wirelessly connects to everybody's computer through this dongle, has a keyboard, oh. a virtual keyboard attached to everyone's computer, and then if the computer's unlocked and they're, they're, they've left it there or they're looking at something, you can very, very quickly inject keystrokes and, and type a command that might download some malware and install wow. a backdoor on the computer and then enable you to exfiltrate data um, through traditional mechanisms. Um, That's amazing. So, so, so through, you don't have to go through um, the network to hack into a computer in, let's say, a big company. You can get in through the uh, wireless mouse. That's right, yeah. And wow. it's not only about injecting keystrokes. A lot of uh, wireless keyboards these days don't actually implement encryption or they do it poorly, which means that huh. you're able to passively eavesdrop the keystrokes that are actually being transmitted from someone's legitimate keyboard to their computer. So passwords... Um, you know, other sensitive information, you can actually sniff. So it's important um, if, I mean, for everyone, but particularly in the enterprise where people are very security conscious, um, to have visibility into those sorts of issues. Um, and you could do a, you can implement a keystroke logger. You could very easily do that, yes. Um, there's another... Another, so that one actually is called Key Sniffer. We, we tried to come up with some creative names for the various vulnerabilities, but that one's called Key Sniffer. That initial one where you were injecting keystrokes is Mousejack. 
Um, and there was another one. I mean, where so how uh, how crazy could this get? You know, let's say um, is a corporation, and you hack someone's Fitbit, and they wear it into work. Could I mean I don't know if this is possible, but could then the Fitbit be used to you know sniff uh, for wireless mice and then get into the computers of the network that way, or through someone's I think, smartphone that's been hacked? Yeah, it, I think it's more likely through through the smartphone. Um, and the thing about all these radios are that um, generally, because they're manufactured in bulk and, and uh, designed to be cheap, they generally just communicate one protocol. So the Fitbit, for example, it can do um, Bluetooth low energy and fall back to Bluetooth, but, but that's all it does. So that limits mm, okay. its ability to communicate with other devices. But if you have another device, like a, a phone that has all those different radios in it, it can talk Wi-Fi, right. it can talk Bluetooth, um, and so there are, there are further possibilities there. But the scary thing is where you have the ability to jump from one particular protocol onto the network. So in the mousejack instance, you're exploiting the fact that, that these particular radios that have these vulnerabilities are connected directly into a computer that is on someone's corporate network. Um, and then, you know, these, these sorts of dongles are one particular attack vector. You've got other ones where you might have these. Um, actually, we see this quite often in, in modern buildings. The environmental controls are all Zigbee enabled. So Zigbee um, sits on top of a protocol called 18.15.4. And that's a sort of generic specification to talk in a different sort of um, you know, Phi and, and Mac layer. And then on top of that, people can build their own sort of protocols and systems. Uh, and that's deployed in all sorts of different um, systems and technologies. Uh, but we it's usually used for short-range communication. We see it a lot in, in um, sort of building control. And you know, that's an area that we're, we're looking into. But again, it, it completely um, remains to be seen how secure these things are. So, you know, on the walls, you might have these Zigbee thermostats that communicate back to a central node that's presumably connected into some network um, and, you know, potentially another avenue for uh, compromise. <coughs> what are some, um, you know, high profile or maybe just internal stories of attack vectors that made you say, holy cow, you know, we had to look at this? Well, there was that one um, published very recently in the last few days that um, caught our eye where a researcher demonstrated the ability to take over smart TVs by broadcasting a rogue TV station and embedding within that um, a special packet containing some metadata that would cause the smart TV to open a address on the internet because now of course everybody's smart TV is connected to the internet and the TV would then just blindly go ahead and, and download uh, this payload from, from the researcher's site. And inside that, you could embed your own malware, um, which is, I think, what he demonstrated. And so effectively, then, you have taken control of the smart TV, which, again, is an example where they've rushed these amazing products to the market. We're connecting everything to, to networks and the internet. Uh, and you're able to to get in via this other vector that you wouldn't have imagined, um, 
and you know you can turn someone's TV into a node in a botnet, for example, or you can use it to um, have a backdoor, and then you can uh, log into their their network and you know sniff around and and look at you know other information there. Um, so that that's a very that's recent amazing. example. Yeah. So, you know, it took a long time getting to this, but um, what's the goal of your company? How does it help um, either identify or stop these attack vectors? What do you guys do? Well, we look at uh, the radio spectrum, essentially. We uh, deploy sensors uh, in an area. So, for example, in a data center, um, on an office floor, or in particular areas of concern like boardrooms and C-suites. We've been looking at the financial services sector uh, at, uh, at this point, and those radios are able to uh, essentially look at very different uh, frequencies on the radio spectrum and analyze all of the data that's actually flowing over those, those frequencies. So the radios in these the sensors receive all that. We have some very sophisticated firmware running on those sensors that understand many different protocols. And all that information is then sent up into our cloud infrastructure where we run it through uh, some very sophisticated analytics and localization. And then at the front end of the product is, is a UI where you can log in through web browser, see all of the devices in your airspace and see where they actually are on a map. So if you want to, for example, have instant visibility into all the devices and the different protocols that, that you have. You can just pop the the, uh, the web browser open and then get a list and see when they're active and, and when they're not. Um, and that gives you that instant visibility. There's also the notion of um, personas. So if you consider, um, say, a device that has multiple radios in it, like a laptop that might have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, the system can actually recognize that those two distinct radios belong in the same device. And so you can actually mm. pair them and then track them uh, together. Uh, you can also consider uh, the historical data there. So if you're doing forensics, there's been some sort of incident, then with the ability to localize transmitters, you can see how a transmitter actually moves through a space. So if you have a transmitter that is attached to, say, an infrastructure device that doesn't move, and then suddenly it disappears or it moves, then you know something might be awry. Um, and otherwise, if if uh, you know you you can track uh, assets uh, in that manner. Uh, and if you have people that are entering spaces where they would otherwise be prohibited from entering, so uh, if you have physical security concerns, right. then our system is able to detect whether say somebody's phone enters an area, or maybe on a trading floor where all devices are banned, such as a completely cell phone-free zone, if you actually detect somebody's cell phone transmitting information, uh, you know, if a certain area of the, the radio spectrum lights up, which is essentially their phone talking to the nearby tower, then um, you can alert on that as well. So we've got a system of analytics that uh, processes all this, and then if, if we trigger any uh, threat checks, then we offer an alert to the, the customer that says, oh, hey, you know, this particular device is, is either, uh, you know, should, shouldn't be on or shouldn't be in this area. 
um, that's that's all you know more about device visibility, but we also look at uh, malicious devices too. So, for example, if you might have a rogue wireless access point or a rogue uh, cell phone tower, which are very very easy to stand up, um, the the actual cost of the hardware is is quite small um, with the advent of modern software-defined radios and, and um, open source efforts. Um, we can also then detect that kind of malicious behavior. So if somebody starts a rogue cell phone tower and tries to get people's mobile phones to associate with it, um, you know, that might enable man-in-the-middle attacks or, or you know, revealing other sensitive information. Our sensors are constantly surveying the environment see if any new, new such transmitters pop up, and then analyzes various aspects of that transmitter to say, ah, oh, this is probably legitimate, or you know, this is configured in such a way where you should be, uh, should be concerned and you ought to you know, send, send folks to investigate what's going on. Can you identify, it sounds like you could identify particular devices based on, I guess, their signatures. Can you block, let's say, um, one person's cell phone from accessing the networks in a particular area, or can you can you selectively allow certain devices and not others? So we're just passive at the moment, which means that our sensors are purely receive only. When you get into the the area of active uh, offense, essentially, there you talk about needing to transmit, and uh, that can be quite a can of worms because um, in unlicensed bands. You might be able to transmit particular things. The one instance of this is uh, existing Wi-Fi access points in certain configurations that we've seen in corporations actually de-authenticate little uh, hotspots. So if somebody was to bring in their own hotspot or enable Wi-Fi tethering on their telephone, then those access points will force you off your hotspot or your telephone when they detect a new network popping up. Um, beyond that, it's very much unknown. Um, and in the instance of cell phones, you don't want to be transmitting any sort of noise or, or the equivalent of deauthentication on the cell phone frequencies because that's actually licensed spectrum. That belongs to the telcos. And as a customer of right. the, the telcos, you're allowed to transmit with a, a licensed device such as your telephone. But if you interfere with that, then you know, you basically interfere with the ability to people for people to call the emergency services and so on. So that can uh, that can be fraught fraught with problems. So we're we're purely applying our our smarts on on the receive side at the moment. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So what what kind of environments have you deployed this in, and what any surprises? You know, what have you found? Maybe either in a corporate environment or you know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah live events or other, you know, where do you use this stuff and what have you seen? Yeah, we, we deployed um, to some customers in some very interesting and different environments. Uh, we've deployed to data centers where we've uh, seen such things as these uh, ZigBee-enabled uh, infrastructure devices, such as the, the air conditioning system there, where uh, the folks didn't didn't realize that there was a ZigBee-enabled radio in, in their control system there. Um, we've seen other elements in, in data centers where they are wirelessly connected to and, and um, they, they, they didn't have the best security uh, setup that might have enabled an attacker to, to do something nefarious with, with those devices. Um, in other instances, 
uh, actually going back to the the point that I mentioned about people bringing in their own hotspots, data exfiltration is is a big problem, is a, a major concern. So the idea is to have visibility and to be able to see events where anybody tries to exfiltrate potentially sensitive data through their own channels, which would otherwise be caught by the corporate infrastructure. So if you can't use Wi-Fi to tether because that's rather obvious and there are, there are active countermeasures for that, one alternative is Bluetooth. So you can, for example, pair your laptop with your phone over Bluetooth and get out to the public internet uh, unfiltered using that Bluetooth mechanism. But at the moment, there's no technology to to identify these Bluetooth uh, uh, transactions, these Bluetooth conversations. Uh, and that's something that we've been looking at um, and have been quite successful in seeing. So. We've actually seen at another uh, data center the evidence of these Bluetooth uh, tethering events where you know people might be attempting to get out on the internet. It's probably nothing nefarious, but nevertheless, uh, when you have issues around compliance and, and you know policy regarding that, then customers are very interested to find out what's going on there. Uh, another issue of concern regarding exfiltration is um, surveillance. So the idea of being able to keep an eye on other malicious transmitters that might end up making their way into a sensitive environment. So for boardrooms and um, C-suites and the like, uh, people are concerned about bugs, um, and these can appear in a variety of flavors. They can be analog FM bugs, and um, they can also be bugs that use the cellular network. And you know we, we've are building up uh, quite sophisticated layers of, of actually detecting calls um, and trying to characterize those calls as legitimate phone calls or <clears throat> calls that might be initiated from bugs. Um, and so you know we we've seen some interesting data come back from various deployments, um, particular particularly other areas in the country where. Um, you know, there have been concerns about the security of, of cell phone networks and the like. Um, any military applications where you want to shut down any cell use in an area or at least monitor it if it's happening? Or, or are you guys sticking we, we, with the, uh, the private sector? Yeah, no, we're, we're sticking with the private sector at the moment. Um, with that said, we have actually been awarded a contract from the Department of Homeland Security, um, and we're working with them to... Um, uh, find areas where we could deploy our product uh, to actually, you know, help wirelessly secure those those sensitive areas. So that that's uh, an ongoing thing, um, and that'll be int very interesting to see how that that progresses. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so you're helping essentially, you know, companies uh, become more secure in ways they didn't even know they were vulnerable, which is really neat. Yeah, that, that's right. The premise is is that um, corporate internet security is so um, well defined now. There are a host of products that let you secure all aspects of your wired network and Wi-Fi, and you see this at all of the security conferences. But nobody is really looking at um, all of the other signals, all the other protocols, all of the other frequencies uh, that are in use, and, and shining a light so that the same kind of scrutiny can be applied there. Because mm -hmm. hackers are becoming more and more sophisticated and resourceful. Um, especially 
when you consider um, well-funded campaigns from state actors. Um, so I think I think there's a lot going on that that people uh, aren't, aren't aware of from traditional security concerns. Any um, crazy stories that you can share of uh, vulnerabilities you found? Ones that like uh, shocked you, surprised you? Well, I, I suppose the the depth that um, my colleagues were able to 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 get to with mousejack and key sniffer and and so on, just seeing how how there are so many devices out there where people or rather manufacturers haven't been concerned with encryption whatsoever. Um, mm. You know, we, we've seen a lot of classic examples in the sort of consumer space where, um, you know, all, all sorts of, you know, fun devices that you can get for the for the home uh, and even ones that offer physical security are just so easy to, to break uh, because they don't receive the kind of testing and, and scrutiny that, that they should. Um, and you know, as these devices become more and more popular, and as we see them make their way into the enterprise, um, they're just still going to be left with those bugs and, and vulnerabilities. Uh, we're currently in the process of actually um, doing uh, disclosure um, with with some other companies regarding some very recent uh, and new vulnerabilities that we have found. Um, we go through the process of, of responsible disclosure, so we do our internal research privately, and then we disclose to these affected manufacturers and companies. And then we allow them uh, 90 days to work with us in uh, developing patches and fixes for the vulnerabilities that we found. And then after that period elapses, we actually release the information publicly uh, so that consumers or, or companies can take their own steps. Um, so we have something very, very interesting and, and, and shocking in the pipe. Um, <laughs> that's all I can say about, about that particular hack at this time. Okay. You have to stay tuned. Um, is there a formal uh, legal mechanism in, that governs how you do your disclosure? Uh, or is it well, just you, uh, you've chosen to do it this way? Yeah, the, the, the standard of, in penetration testing and, and security companies is to is to go with this process of responsible disclosure. So um, generally that that research is done internally and then over some secure channel you uh, find the, the appropriate contacts uh, at the company. Uh, if you're not unable to, and, and we've seen this before in certain, certain instances, you basically do your best effort. Um, you know, call them up and try to get onto someone, but that doesn't always work out. Uh, and then you know, you work with the appropriate people, and 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 you know, we we've done in the past where we've supported them and had had multiple conference calls and revealed the technical details about how to reproduce these issues, and we make sure that the vendor is able to do that, uh, and then it's really on the vendor to uh, you know figure out how to do it and how to uh, release those patches to the public. One one issue that we have seen is that. In particular devices, it's not actually possible to update the firmware. The original firmware that comes out of the factory is actually baked in. So, for example, many wireless uh, keyboards and mice, you know, aren't able to update those devices. So the vulnerabilities remain, and therefore the only recourse is to essentially buy new hardware and replace the vulnerable old hardware. All right. So, last couple of questions. Um, What's the best way for people and companies to, you know, start interacting with you and find out if you can help them 
evaluate their networks to see if there's any vulnerabilities? How should they get in touch with you? Well, the easiest way is just to head to our website, bastille.net, and that contains a lot of information on different sorts of use cases that um, people might be interested in, companies that might be interested in. It gives a good overview of our technology and, and how you deploy it. Uh, it also contains all of our, our own vulnerability findings to date. Uh, and in addition, we have a lot of, of other material that essentially gives some people some context um, and an introduction to the world of radio. Because um, often, you know, it's just a thing that, that people uh, take for granted in, in their everyday life, all these modern conveniences that we have. Um, but actually getting getting into the nitty-gritty there, understanding how all of these devices and radios work and communicate and, and where those vulnerabilities may lie um, is is a bit of a, a, a new door that's opened. Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of videos and things there that'll help people get acquainted with all that. Okay. And then last question, um, what do you think will be possible for your company or will be happening in the space in the next three to five years? And what do you think is still fantasy and quite a ways off? I think very quickly and, and sooner than, than many people might imagine, more and more devices are going to go wireless uh, just for the reasons I gave before, the, the, the sake of uh, cost and the, the sake of um, easy maintenance and, and not having to install copper. Um, I think the flow and effect of that is that there will be more and more radios out there that won't have vetted uh, firmware running on them. It'll essentially increase the attack vector, uh, increase the attack surface um, for you know one's organization or, or, or wherever these, these systems are deployed that are interoperate and connect to other networks. Um, for us specifically, um, you know, we'll be increasing our analytics capabilities to to handle more and more different sorts of threats um, and analysis and recognition of, of patterns of malicious activity. Um, we're already doing some really novel stuff, but as more and more protocols become commonplace, uh, there's a whole host of IoT protocols um, that are gaining popularity. We'll be uh, keeping pace with those and implementing those on our sensors and then you know applying the appropriate analysis in our back end so we'll be maintaining uh, and 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 keeping up to date and then further down the track um, as as you hinted before uh, as these sorts of attacks and and protocols become commonplace i think you know people will be wondering oh can we can we take offense and um, attempt to, to block things um, jamming has always been a big no-no, and, and the FCC and other regulatory bodies um, come very hard down on that. Um, so I think that will be a big unknown as to, to how we actively mitigate these threats, um, as opposed to just having visibility into them in real time and being able to forensically uh, analyze such incidents. Okay. Well, very good, Balin. Uh, thanks for being on the call. And, um, you know, I really appreciate it. You've given a lot of insight into a whole world that uh, a lot of people don't even know about. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much, Richard. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies 
that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 